Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. This is part one of our conversation with former NBA big man Charles Oakley. Oakley played 19 seasons with the Bulls, Knicks, Raptors, Wizards, and Rockets, and was known as one of the best rebounders in the NBA. In his current book, The Last Enforcer, Outrageous Stories from the Life and Times of One of the NBA's Fiercest Competitors, Oakley shares unfiltered tales about his career and his relationships with some of the game's best. Oakley is also an accomplished chef, and whether he's cooking for hundreds at homeless shelters in cities across the country or just whipping up a meal for his wife and kids at home, he loves to be in the kitchen. But Oakley understands the need to balance all that food with exercise, and at age 58, he prides himself on the fact that people often tell him he looks like he could still play. His philosophy, if you're not moving, you're in quicksand. Yes, how you doing today? I am just peachy. How are you? I'm good. Were you in uh, Philadelphia over the weekend? I was there, not over the weekend, but we was there uh, Friday. Okay, so you weren't there for the NCAA games? No, no, we did a thing downtown at the Luthens Settlement Shelter. Gotcha. I was wondering if you got to see your old teammate, Hubie Davis, and my North Carolina did, Tar Heels matter, win. Matter of fact, I did an interview about Hubert, and I was telling him about it. I seen some of the games when he played Duke right before the season end, and he was doing some interviews and just going back to what I played with him in New York. He went back to some style. Instead of trying to match talent against talent, he said everybody had to check everybody who played the position. If you're a point guard, you check the point guard. If you're a center, you play center. For instance, he gave that speech or whatever, how he got the guys ready to play against Duke. They've been, I know they lost in ACC, but they've been playing really well. They've been playing great. And so I played softball at UNC and it's like the one team that I really passionately still root for. And I know I'm in the minority, but Roy Williams used to make me crazy because he would let the tempo of games get out of control and not call timeouts and rein the guys in. And I've really just loved the way Hubert manages a basketball game and has gotten the most out of these kids. I love it. Well, I think Roy was most time. When you're getting older and the game getting close to the end of your time and you try to let the kid just play way out, sometimes you got to pull them back. And I think that what he would do is real good with that, talking to them, getting them ready for the moment. And, uh, right, so now they got another good big game against Duke again. Another big game against Duke. That's like the history or the title of a North Carolina fan's biography is another big game against Duke. <laughs> ah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So... Full transparency for listeners here. We saw each other last week at my grandfather's museum where you were talking about your new book, The Last Enforcer, Outrageous Stories from the Life and Times of One of the NBA's Fiercest Competitors. So can you tell us just a little bit about why you decided to write the book? Uh, Yes, a book. The Last It's a great book. I'm glad I wrote the book because people can really see how I was brought up, my steps of life, my ups and downs. I mean, everybody goes through them, but just playing 18 years in the NBA, Using seeing me on the back page of the New York papers and other papers, but I want people to get the whole like if you make a cake or something, you know, the taste, the recipe. So this is my recipe to my life and my book, the ups and downs, the strength, the love in the book. I get my drive from my grandfather and come on down to my mom and when she had to go to work every day growing up, take two buses to work, two buses home to provide us with a meal, six kids. It's just a book that, you know, I'm talk, telling a lot of stories, talking about a lot of people, but it's consistency 
consistency on my life. And I think that you can just say your grandpa can tell you how consistency he was when he was playing with the Yankees and his career off the court, the museum. And that's, I mean, life is like what you show and what you do. And he did it. I'm trying to do it. <laughs> what made you do the book now at this particular point of your life? Well, I was thought about 10 years ago, then I was got on Dance with the Stars and then I was I had a chance to think about a lot of other stuff. And then the book came back up and I said, why not? It's a pandemic and people can really, they want content. So Dance with the Stars with content, none of this book is a lot of content. It might be too much. <laughs> Being scared, you know, this book is it's heavy, you know. Not saying it's heavy for its weight, just heavy with the stuff in it. Yeah, you really, it's going to move you and show you the type of guy I am. I just figured it was a good time. My mom, you know, turned 86 this year. And last year, you know, she had some major service during the pandemic. She survived. So I wanted to get it out before she leave here. I read a quote of yours on the book website that says, I can't remember every rebound I grabbed, but I do have a story, a true story of just about every punch and slap on my resume. <laughs> Why do you think some of those on-court altercations were more memorable than the actual basketball? Because I played over thousands of some games. I didn't have a thousand some fight. So maybe <laughs> about, you know, I, I ran it off around maybe 20 or 30. So it was a, a pivot moment in the game. You just don't, stuff just don't happen. It happened 90% of the time the battle, when the battle is going on, when you inside, this and that happened. Few off the court, but I just feel like the story is so strong. And I remember, like I said, when you're writing a book, you have to remember a lot of stuff that happened. So I'm glad I have a good memory. So let's go and show you my IQs on the court. Pretty good IQ on the basketball court. So off the court, pretty good IQ. So my story is a good flow to them. And uh, just, it's just real stories. And I figured that people want to hear the stuff about the 80s and 90s. It's all you hear about what happened in the 80s and 90s. So my book is like a 20-year book from the 80s and 90s, not 2000 to now. So when you read this book, they're going to grab you because a lot of stuff in this book, it ain't really happening now, but it happened in the 80s and 90s. Do you have favorite stories from the book? You know, they always try to say, who your best five players of all time? It's hard for me to, to list my top five stories in this book, but it's about 30 stories in the book plus. Wow. Do you have, when you look back at your career, I'm sure you talk a lot of, about the fights that you had, 20 or 30 of them, but do you have plays that stick out in your mind as kind of the highlight reel that runs in your head? Well, the highlight reel, before the league was getting into the league, the next step was making it to the NBA Finals. And I guess a lot of stuff you play and numbers and stuff come up, accolades. If you don't win a championship, I mean, I think that's the most important when you play a sport. You try to get a team, I play with a team. I played in New York for 10 years, a whole decade. And I heart, my heart, sweat, tears, and all my soul. And I tried to lead it on the court during the course of a game. I didn't try to shortcut the game. I'm just sorry we couldn't win the championship in New York. But besides just meeting a lot of people and engagement over my career, and I think that was great playing in New York, Chicago, Toronto, Washington, and just I met a lot of people. So and helped me build my after career or built me while I was still playing in the league. So I had a great time playing in the league. What other sports did you play as a kid, Charles? I played football. I was pretty good. I was more better in football than basketball, but – I had made a decision when I went to Virginia Union, historic black college in Richmond, 
I couldn't play both. I mean, you had to go take classes and play two sports. That's tough. There's some guys have done it, but I take my hat off to them because it's a lot of work. Were you always an intimidating guy? I mean, there's lots of guys who are big and tall, but not everyone is intimidating. Did you always have that kind of presence on the field or on the court? Well, my thing is, I don't try to look intimidating, but I guess it's something that when you step on the court, it's how you walk on the court, I guess, is when they see you doing stuff and the consistency of being strong. And I never want to look weak. Now I say, I just look in the mirror like, is this my look or that's my look? But I just, I guess it's just the way I walk. People like the way I walk. And once something's going on, I try to be in the mix of it. And being tough, I like to see people move freely. I don't try to bully no one. And some, a lot of people always ask them, well, it's tough for me to you know, enforce it. Now, force someone who can help people, validate people, and just stuff what I think of it. You were a pretty fit player when you entered the NBA, and I read that in your freshman year with Virginia Union. You were working out with the football team. I know you considered playing. When and why did you start paying attention to your physical fitness off the basketball court? I think that whatever you do during the course of a season and then you prepare yourself. My thing, I had to always be prepared for the moment. I never took time off. I feel like as long as you're in the, in the league, you had to be in your top shape at all times. And I looked at it like that. Basically, I probably took off two weeks a year during every year. Like, after the season, you take off a week and then probably take off another week doing here and there. But never try to get out of shape. My thing was always to stay in shape. You never know. You might get traded. You might go to a benefit, play in a charity game. So I always want to be able to answer yes. Still, no, I'm not prepared for the moment. But I always try to keep myself in shape into this day. It ain't like I watch what I eat. I just try to work out four or five days a week, some cardio. Don't They said that when you eat, don't abuse it, what you eat. So and when I played, back in the age of that, we didn't really have a, like, you can eat this and can eat that until Pat Riley came to New York. He had us on, like, strictly, like, you had to make under 10% body fat, no bad food on the plane. But when you're a pro, you know when someone tells you something, yeah, you listen to them, but you know what your body can take, what your body can't take. And I never had a problem with weight. Knock on wood. When you were in the NBA, what was your workout routine back then? I know it wasn't as regimented as it is today, but what were you doing to stay in shape? I think that, like I said, I never really got out of shape. But uh, my thing is I always picked up the ball in the summertime run a couple of days a week. Thing is, anything when you're doing something, you got to have your your cardio, your heart rate. So I always got to keep my heart rate up in my workouts. So I wasn't the type of guy who uh, played and had to ask the coach, let me take a break to come out. So basically just, you know what you put in your body and you know what you can get out your body. So playing in my position, power forward, it was tough every night. A lot of, you know, bodies hitting bodies, taking charge, hitting the floor, physicality. And I think that I was ready for the moment. Did you lift weights back then? Yes, we lift weights. It's like a bank. If you don't put none of the money in the bank, you can't get none out when you go. So I always try to be stronger and better, ready for my, you know, in the game when the season starts and who I'm playing against. So basically, yeah, we lift weights basically at least twice a week during the season because your muscles break down. So you had to build them back up. And I uh, think that, uh, but I really didn't have a, like a routine what I did every year. I just know I have to stay in shape. So with the cardio, pick up games, and uh, worked on my game here and there. 
Back then, when the offseason rolled around, did you get any kind of instructions from the team on things they wanted you to do to stay in shape? Or was it just what you decided to do on your own and they expected you to come in at that 10% body right. fat? No, they'll tell you. They'll give you a like, month after the season or something. They'll send you something like, here's some stuff you want to work out, this and that. But they did. They always had a trainer. We used to go to Little Hoyer up in uh, San Diego, I think, with the Knicks. And uh, meet up there about midsummer and work out for about a, a week. And then, you, you know, you keep adding on from there. But I think for us, you know, you know, dealing with Pat Riley, you got to come in camp in shape because the first drills is, you know, do 17, cross the court 17 times in like, six, you know, 65 seconds. And I think it's 65 for the big guy, 55 for the guard, something like uh-huh. that. So it wasn't about you. And some guys, like they said, Jack Hardy came in camp out of shape. No, he wouldn't. You probably got fine because you get you get two chances to do it. After that, you get fine until you can do it. <laughs> That's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> and today you would be like all over social media, guys missing their times. Jeez. Oh yeah, yeah. Was, I mean, you already know before. So when you don't come in shape, you hurting the team. So ninety five percent of the guys came in shape. Yeah. You're around basketball a lot now at many different levels. How do you think the strategy around strength and conditioning has changed since you played? It's changed at least 40, 30, 40%. You see guys more committed. You know, they're doing more, not for his physical workout, they're doing more bands, aerobics, more yoga, stuff like that, stretching more. I see, like, you watch the game before they want, you know, before they come out. You see them get the bands and stuff. So it definitely have changed, and it's a different ball game. So you don't need all the physicality. You need to be in shape. You got to be flexible. So the game has changed into a different dynamic. You mentioned before about how it was beneficial to you to be strong and physically fit because a lot of banging bodies down underneath the hoop. And I imagine that you got pretty beat up. What did you do back then to help your body recover? Because you certainly didn't have all these fancy things that the guys have now. Right. So first, I didn't get beat up a lot, but uh, you, know, <laughs> you probably got but, tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, they have a lot of like they get the hot tubs. They got, like I said, they got something that two or three massage therapies. They got a good balance of food, so it's definitely changed to a way that you can recover quicker. Like, I think LeBron got a chamber. Some guys got going there, two hours, your body bounced back. Then they have the cold tub. You go in the cold tub and recover your body. So I never got into the cold tub. I got in the hot tub maybe my, around my 12th year in the league. A couple of times I put my legs in it. But, you know, I had this, this like, man, I'm bored out of this and that. Never thought like that. And my job was to think, hey, I can play every game every year and I can be successful and uh, go out every night and play at a high level. Have you tried any of these new recovery methods like the infrared sauna or the compression boots? Have you, have you done any of that now? No. no. <laughs> Maybe LeBron should invite you over to go in his cryotherapy chamber. I have been to his house many times, but like I said, I took care of my body for, like I said, get up. First thing I do is stretch every morning, then I do this. So, I mean, returning sixes in about a few months, I think I, my body in pretty good shape. I was going to ask you, as you've gotten older now, how has your devotion to fitness helped you out? It helped me out a lot because I see some guys from my past played against this and that, not doing what they should. It's as like, I don't know what they're doing, but it, it's not like they're doing nothing to keep themselves together. 
as when they play. Some people let themselves go. Some people don't. Some people try to work. Sometimes once you get out 10, 15 years later, bad knees, hips, you can't do with so much. So that means you got to cut back on your eating, eat healthy, drink a lot of water. There's some ways to kind of act to try to keep yourself in shape if you want. Some guys just say, hey, I've played basketball 10, 12 years. My time to relax for another 20 years. But my thing is with life and with ball, you meet people. And when you, after you get to playing and see you, and they look at you like you, like, okay, what is he doing? You know, mm-hmm. is he keeping himself together? He just going through the motion, cutting corners. I always try to look like a pro on the court, off the court. Even at my age now, I want people to look at me like, wow, he still can play. He still can do this. And I show you that I was a guy who loved the game and loved life and want to put, always try to have like a good image. What is your uh, workout routine now? It's different. It's according where I'm at. And can I get to a gym? I can't get to a gym. I go out, walk 45 minutes. Sometimes I go to a gym, I do treadmill, 25 minutes, stretch, a lot of stretching. When you get all your legs go, so I try to do legs here and there. But so if I can't get to a gym, I'll probably go out, walk, jumping jacks, push up, sit up, 45 minutes to an hour. Not, and nothing over the top, it's just something simple. Um, as you get older, you lose your mass. That's why I, I see over the last year or so, I'm losing mass, but it's okay. But I'm still working like I still have it. So when you lose it, your mind, it's a mind thing when you start, you have something, then you see it's going away. And you're like, some people have hair and then get bald, like you got to adjust to it. <laughs> so like I said, I eat crazy. So I don't, I still eat the way I want to eat. I eat what I want to eat because, you know, I cook all the time. But I mean, I don't have a problem with my physicality. Um, knock on wood. I just had some dental work done in the last couple of weeks, but that's about it. So you mentioned you do push-ups and sit-ups. Like, are there any exercises you used to do when you've played that you gave up for good as you started to get older? Well, I think suicide. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Nobody wants to do those, man. <laughs> suicide and them 17. But besides that, I can still do basically. I can do suicide. Sometimes I work my nephews and my cousins out. I go to the gym. And that's the crazy thing. Like, they're young. So uh, we want to work out. I said, okay, meet me at the gym at 10. So most times they tell you, meet to the gym, you get to about 9, 9, 15. They get there like 10 to 10, 5 to 10, with flip-flops. So I said, like, do y'all want to work out or y'all want to talk about what happened last night? So it's a, it's a different, but, um, you know, my nephew, they work hard and I love them. And so, you know, I'm always people, I just, guys want advice. I just talk to guys and just talk about the league uh, before I got to the league, what I'm doing now. So people still call me for different things. What advice do you give guys when they ask you about what kind of workouts to do as they approach their sixties like you? Well, I would just tell them, you got to get up in the morning, you know, don't, a lot of people like to sleep in and get the extra hours of sleep. I don't never sleep in. I get up and go. I'm an early bird, but I just tell them you got to get up, get a workout, get something in your body, get a protein shake, get something to get you going, some oatmeal, uh, eat some fruit. You just got to get up and get going. You can't lay around. You get lazy, then your whole body get lazy. Then you start getting stiff and then don't want to move around. You got to get going. Like I got to tell my mom, she's 86. You got to walk. You got to your legs. You got to do something. If you don't have your legs, you're just about not doing nothing. This concludes part one of our conversation with Charles Oakley. Be sure to check out part two. To keep up with Charles, follow him on Instagram at at TheRealOak34 and Twitter at at CharlesOakley34. 
You can also check out his book, The Last Enforcer, at retailers nationwide. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.